Welcome, everyone, to our first edition of March Madness 365, a podcast that will cover college basketball throughout the course of the year, during the offseason, and, of course, on a weekly basis throughout the course of the regular season and deep into the NCAA tournament until we get to that Final Four in San Antonio. On this first edition of the show, I'm going to be joined by Bruce Rasmussen, who's the athletic director at Creighton, but more importantly for our purposes, he's the NCAA Tournament Selection Committee Chair for the 2018 NCAA Tournament. We're going to discuss, among many things, first of all, a little tweak in the team sheets, sort of an inside baseball term, about how the Selection Committee now will look at road and neutral wins and add even more weight to those, especially those in the non-conference. Then TCU head coach Jamie Dixon will join me. Uh, the Horn Frogs off to a fantastic start, starting the season undefeated to this point, winning a neutral site tournament down in Florida, knocking off their rival SMU, winning a game against Nevada out in L.A. We're going to discuss all of that with Jamie Dixon. Then I'll be joined by UCLA head coach Steve Alford, and they have had quite a start to the season, very tumultuous, certainly out in China. The incident they had with three players, three getting suspended, one leaving. Ball brothers no longer being part of the program, but on the court, this UCLA team certainly has uh, performed well at times, like they did in Kansas City, uh, where they uh, ended up beating Wisconsin, losing to Creighton. They beat George Tech in China, by the way, before that, and then they end up look like they're going to beat Michigan, losing overtime. They got a big game coming up against Cincinnati. We're going to discuss all that with Steve Alford, and then can't wait to be joined by Oklahoma's Trey Young. Not just maybe the best freshman in the country. He may be the best player in the country. He's leading NCAA men's basketball and scoring at 28.8 points a game. Really looking forward to my discussion with Trey Young, getting to know him a little bit here on March Madness 365. So a lot to get to, a lot of guests that I want you to hear their thoughts on the sport, where it is right now, where it's going. And really, I think we've had a fantastic start to the season as we head into mid-December. So really looking forward to this first edition, first of many here. On March Madness 365, let's get to it. And now joining us here on March Madness 365, Creighton Athletic Director Bruce Rasmussen, who is the chair of the NCAA Tournament Selection Committee for the 2018 NCAA Tournament. Bruce, so much has happened in the first few weeks of the the season. So let's dial back a little bit. How do you digest? all the results that have been flooding in with so many, you know, top 25 teams, some that have gone down where they weren't expected. You know, some teams have risen to heights that we never imagined here in the first month of the season. How are you digesting all that information? Well, I'm not digesting it very well, (laughs) but uh, it goes to show you, you know, I coached basketball for 20 some years and I always felt this, Andy, that, um, Uh, If you play 30 games, you're going to have a handful where you say, boy, I wish we played this way all the time. And you're going to have a handful where you say, boy, let's just get out of town. And uh, and so I I would hope that myself and the committee and and others don't put too much credence in those anomalies and those outliers. Uh, You know, one of the things we're seeing is that when you're trying to rate teams, it's like peeling an onion. You have so many layers so close to each other that uh, this is the most exciting year that I have seen in Division I men's basketball for a long, long time because uh, I think that the difference between the 10th best team in the country and the 50th best team in the country is paper thin. Uh, The three-point Shot has had a lot to do with that. You can watch games where you see an outstanding team get good shots and go two for 19 from three. And, you know, four or five days later, get worse shots and go 12 for 23. And so I just think that there are certainly a lot of metrics out there. You have to analyze it and look at it from a number of different ways. But it is so exciting, as you've said, to see some teams that haven't been as good in the past few years uh, resurface, uh, to see, uh, some teams that from the non, uh, power five conferences, uh, a lot of teams that are considered mid majors to do extremely well. Uh, so far, uh, we're seeing more games, uh, where good teams are playing against good teams. And so it has been a tremendously exciting first month. 
So let's dive into the, the new sort of tweaking of the team sheets, the quadrants one, two, three, and four, taking the place of sort of saying it was a top 50 win, top 100, and so on. Um, and, and when we put that story out last week, I already could hear, you know, from some of the fan bases saying, you know, ooh, you know, we've already won on the road, won on the neutral court. I mean, this seemed like it was sort of something that the committee always looked at, but now it's sort of more official that it will be designated as such that when you win on the road or on a neutral court, the value of that is going to just take on even more importance than if you win at home. What was the thinking within the committee to make sure that that was done at least on an official level? Well, it's always been done, as you said, and uh, uh, I think people need to understand that top 50 or top 100 are sorting mechanisms. They're not selecting mechanisms because there, as far as the committee is concerned, uh, those are not silos. Uh, top 50, if you beat a team that's 49th and, you, and someone else beats one that's 51, those aren't uh, separate from each other. It's just a way for the committee to begin by sorting. But we've always known that um, winning on the road, I think, is the most difficult thing to do in athletics uh, in men's college basketball. If you look at the numbers, if you look at uh, the NBA and college basketball, you look at the NFL and college football, you look at the NHL and college hockey, and you look at the Major League Baseball and college baseball, the highest winning percentage of any of those groups at home is men's basketball. So the most difficult of all those sports to win on the road is men's basketball. And we didn't feel that that had been recognized enough and uh, we're, you know, we're still working with, uh, again, it's a sorting mechanism. It certainly isn't a selecting mechanism, but I think it gives a clearer picture of the thought process of the committee. So when you take a team like, let's just say hypothetically Arizona, okay, so they, or you could pick Purdue, you know, two teams that really struggled down in the Bahamas, and now they've got some really good wins. Um, how do you balance how a team was playing in a November tournament and didn't play well? versus the wins that they then can pick up, you know, a month later, uh, you know, how much are you erasing that? Are you, how much are you evaluating the evolving nature of that, of that team, whether they had a player back not, or just simply just playing better basketball? Well, first, I mean, it's a great question and it's something that the committee struggles with, but our charge is to evaluate all games the same. Uh, it's probably not a great analogy, but let's, let's use your golf handicap. Your golf handicap is is based upon 20 scores. The first score on that on that card is just as significant as the 20th score on that card, and that's the charge of the men's basketball committee. And yet we know, you know, the public knows that teams evolve. That you have teams that are young, that are completely different in January and February than they were in November and December. Uh, you also have some teams that either because of chemistry or injuries or fatigue or lack of depth or whatever, or scouting reports. I mean, there are a lot of factors where they may perform better early than they do late. But the charge of the committee is to weigh each of those games as as important, no matter what time of the year they take place. And yet every committee member watches the evolution of each program and sees uh, you know, how they change as the year goes on. So how do you deal with um, sort of these one-offs, these these wins by lower-level schools? And we've already seen a bunch of them. Um, you know, Loyola beats Florida, BC beats Duke, and I shouldn't say lower-level. That, that's lower-level within yeah. the ACC on that one. But yeah. uh, Ball State wins at Notre Dame. Uh, you know, are, are they shelf-life wins? Are they wins that, oh, if you add a couple more, now suddenly you're on our radar? Um, you know, how do you judge sort of those ones that just pop up out of nowhere like that? Well, Andy, it's a great question. And you have to try to figure out, and again, you look at the full body of work, but you try to figure out were those anomalies or was that a, an indication of the strength of the team? And so, uh, for instance, Loyola win at Florida was an outstanding win. Uh, will Loyola continue to demonstrate that they're a team that needs to be considered uh, in March? Uh, and if you look at it from the other standpoint, you know, with Florida, was that a bad loss or was that a loss against a team that's an outstanding team 
whose game is much better than their name. And uh, so uh, we have seen, you know, part of the picture, uh, but uh, you have to look at each event from all different angles. You look at it from Florida's angle, from Loyola's angle, and you try to uh, look at both of those teams and how they perform during the remainder of the year to get a better picture of what that one single game means. You know, the other thing that I think we just got to keep hammering home is that conference affiliation, when you get to your, you know, to selection week, it, it only matters in those of the schools that you're playing, but there's no conference affiliation next to the team on the team sheet. Uh, because I think sometimes everyone gets so caught up in, you know, where a team placed or finished in its conference. And, and for every other major league outside of the Big East and the Big 12, it's an imbalanced schedule where, you know, um, you know, a Michigan State may not play a Purdue twice and things of that nature. And that really can have effect on who wins the regular season, but ultimately, um, you know, could also have a different kind of effect on their seeding or selection. So with that being said, you know, how much do you have to reeducate people that that affiliation is more of a scheduling thing than it is necessarily something that's going to get you, you know, up and down on the seed line? Well, I think we just have to continue to communicate that. Somebody once said the biggest problem with communication is the illusion that it has occurred. And I think we just have to continue to be more and more transparent with the process, make certain that people understand, you know, what our what our charge is as a committee and uh, uh, continue to communicate the key points. And, and you brought up one of them, and that's that conference affiliation and how you finish in a conference, especially with so many unbalanced schedules, uh, may not be an indication of the strength of your team. What do you think will end up being maybe one of the tougher decisions you're going to have to make? Um, you know, is it, is it selections? Is it seeding? You know, as you're sort of looking at the landscape here uh, with about two weeks left of the majority of non-conference games. Uh, boy, again, another great question. And, uh, you know, the first thing with selection is you try to get it right because uh, if if we miss seed you, you have an opportunity if you're in to play your way into a better seed. But if we don't put you in and you deserve to be in, then you don't have a chance to prove that. And so uh, they're both critical. Uh, we want we do everything we can to try to be perfect and make sure we get the right 68 teams in the tournament. But then we turn our attention to putting them in the right order because there's a waterfall effect. If you have somebody misseated, even in the fourth quadrant, it could have a tremendous impact on somebody in the first quadrant who earned a tremendous seed but gets penalized by uh, by having to play a team that, that was misseated. And before we let you go, Bruce, you know, the, the thing that, that also strikes me is I, I finally feel like a lot of these coaches got the message on scheduling. You know, here at the non-conference that you know, every time I look up, some of these schools, Alabama, you know, Arizona, um, you know, Xavier, I mean, they're playing great schedules, whether they're neutrals, true home and homes. Arizona State goes from playing St. John's on a Friday night in L.A. to at Kansas on a Sunday. Uh, you've been around this a long time. How, how hard was it to really hammer home that message to these coaches that you've got to do this if you want to? be in this tournament? Well, I think that this year's schedule, and you bring up a good point, this year's schedule is an indication that coaches have heard the message and will continue to hear the message. But it's one of the reasons for the craziness for this first month of the year is we're seeing more and more quality games. I've seen 33 games in person uh, so far this year, not counting Creighton games. And a lot of those games were two teams that are top 50 RPI teams playing against each other. And we're seeing more of the non-power leagues playing uh, against uh, the power, power conferences. So uh, what we're seeing is a couple things. We're seeing, again, the compression of talent and that it is, it is uh, possible that a team that's 100 plus in the RPI can be very competitive and in fact win against the top 25 team. We're seeing some of the conferences that haven't in the past sent multiple teams uh, into the tournament 
have uh, outstanding preseasons so far. We're seeing a lot of mid-majors that whose games are much better than their name. And so it's it's the next month or two are going to be tremendously exciting, but also tremendously difficult for the committee. Well, Bruce, we appreciate you joining us here on March Madness 365, and I know I'm going to be talking to you throughout the course of the season. Thank you. Thank you very much, Andy. And now joining us here on March Madness 365, TCU head coach Jamie Dixon, back at his alma mater for his, uh, what is it, second season now? It, it, it seems like it's been a while already, but uh, already <laughs> having a huge, huge uh, imprint on this program. Uh, they're still undefeated as we're taping this, and um, you know the Horned Frogs uh, looking like a team that, um, who knows, a little early, but could be in contention for the Big 12 regular season title and an NCAA tournament berth. It's all, it's, it's all happening, Jamie. How, how is it happening <laughs> so well so soon? Yeah, I mean, uh, there's some good players here. You know, Trent left us some good players. Trent Jones, he coached them up. He's coached good players before. So they were there. A couple of them were injured, sitting out. So opportunities were there. And then we, we, got, we signed three real good guys late, which I don't know that you can even hope to get those kind of guys, Quadnoy, Desmond Bain, and Jalen Fisher. So that, that jump started right there. You get those three guys in the spring. Uh, you know, today's day and age, you got to get guys in the spring, but you got to you got to fill out rosters. But three players like that with high character, um, all league type players, pretty remarkable. But we did it. We got lucky, and uh, Coach Miller had a lot to do with that, and David Patrick, my two recruiters, so along with Corey Barker. So that 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 was the jump start that got us going. You know, so often it, it, you know people assume that if you win the NIT that that can be a springboard, but sometimes, you know, you got a veteran team that are all coming back and different year, but um, you know, this actually seems like a case where it was the perfect storm. You win it in your first year, you sort of make a splash. Then you go on a foreign trip, you know, over the summer down to your familiar territory since you played New Zealand, but down in in that part of the world. Uh, and, And then you're off to a great start. I mean, how much did all this sort of, you know, just sort of come together in a perfect way? Yeah, I mean, in, in a lot of ways, I mean, going to the NIT was probably the perfect thing for us, and, and it allowed us to, you know, win a tough game on the road at Iowa and um, win a, get our crowd behind us in a home game against uh, Richmond. And, and uh, you know, because getting the NIT was a huge accomplishment for this program where it's been, hadn't been there, I don't know, 20, 20 years, 25 years or something. So, so the excitement from winning the NIT was even more so here than, say, if, you know, if uh, Minnesota had won it a couple of years ago or, 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 or somebody else, a team that had regularly been in the NCAA tournament. So um, it, it was big for us, a lot of momentum in the summer. Australia was good. The practices were good. I don't know if we got as much out of it as I thought because of the injuries to Jalen, um, not having some of our guys there uh, that weren't in school yet. So it was good for us and not quite what I had hoped it would be. It was a great trip, no question about it. But uh, um, it gave some guys some good opportunity for minutes. So it was good. It was valuable. But um, And we got off to a good run. We're pretty healthy now with Jalen and Alex. A little slow with them to begin with. But uh, I feel like we're coming into our own right now. You know, and also you guys have been challenged. I mean, uh, you win neutral court games down in Florida. You win a very good rivalry game, you know, against a, mm-hmm. an SMU team that I think is better than people thought. Then you win another neutral yeah. court game uh, out in LA. Um, you know, so so there's been quality games that you've been able to pluck yeah. off. You know, on the schedule. So uh, how much do you feel like this team has been challenged and tested? Because sometimes, you know, in the past, actually, I, I think back. I think TCU. I'm trying to remember what year it was. They had a great non-conference right. record and then got blitzed in the Big Twelve. And maybe that team right. wasn't I mean, challenged. Yeah. Yeah, no, this, this, we've played better teams. You know, I haven't, we haven't played Kentucky, Kansas, uh, obviously, uh, or Duke or, um, you know, and they're not going to play us in, in a home and home or, you know, neutral court game. So, you know, we got the best teams we could play against. And then Nevada, we thought was going to be a top 25 RPI team and a uh, ranked team. And that's what they turned out to be just looking at their personnel. So we saw that we, you know, Maryland, we didn't get in the uh, tournament, but we got St. Bonaventure who had beaten them. So, we knew they were good. So, I mean, we haven't, you know, beaten. we'll get plenty of opportunity in the next couple of months, but 
you know, we have, but our RPI is very good because we played pretty good teams. And like I said, not, not national championship teams, but, but good teams. And, and we've been by pretty good margins, you know, Nevada games, they're very good. We were up 16. Uh, biggest thing we've got to do is finish games a little better, but, uh, never a doubt in that one really, but, um, that's the thing we can get better at. And that's what we worked on this week. So you, you hadn't, you know, you, you've watched it from afar. I mean, it was when you played, it wasn't the big 12, obviously, but, uh, you, you mm-hmm. played, you know, in, in that part of the country and, and then you saw it from afar and we've talked countless times about comparing conferences and all that. After you went through yeah. it one time last season, uh, how do you evaluate what it's like to go through the true home and home schedule of the big 12 season? Right. Well, there's no question. I mean, it's a, there's a balanced schedule. I mean, you don't you don't sit there and look at that team gets to play them and that team gets to play them, and so you get a true champion. I think that's why Kansas has won it every year is because they've been the best team every year. And with the schedule, the best team's generally going to win. You got 18 games, you know, home and homes against everybody. So, you know, sometimes the schedule can can make a conference champion. Uh, that's not the case here, and and so uh, um, I love it. I think it's great. I think it's. I like the TV con- uh, contract we've got. I like the being on ESPN all the time. You know, I like the twelve. I like the places we go to. Um, it's a, it's a great conference. I mean, it's better. I mean, it, it depends how you what you compare is better. But one through ten, our bottom teams are clearly better than the Big East teams, which was considered the best conference, and the ACC bottom teams. I mean, we had Oklahoma and Texas nine and ten last year, and had pros on their team. You know, a lottery picks. You know, I mean. That's what kind of conference it was. So, and you're talking about Lon Kruger and Chaka Smart coming in ninth and tenth. I mean, that's so top to bottom for the best. The numbers have proven that RPI. You know, we don't have we don't have probably with Kansas, which can go with anybody. We don't have a two of them. We don't have three of them, and that's kind of what the ACC has right now. So, so that's that, that's the difference. Top to bottom, we're a better conference. Depends what you're what you're what you're looking at. So we, we've already talked to Bruce Rasmussen, who's the NCAA Tournament Selection Committee Chair uh, on, on March Madness 365. And we're talking about the, the tweak in the, um, you know, the, the team sheets where they're going to be called Quadrant right. 1, 2, 3, 4. Uh, I know you, you've, you're, you know, an officer with the NABC and, you know, you, you know about all this, that, that this was sort of advised that you guys wanted to have more emphasis on road neutral. And, and that will mm-hmm. happen now. What's the what's the effect though of once coaches really see that that will have even more of an effect? Do you think on scheduling going forward? You know, even for places like TCU where you've got great conference games, but it is hard to get you know non-conference games or even in you know because TCU has not been in the Mauis and things like that in the past. Right. Yeah, and and there's so many. It's really hard to too to figure is the the tournaments is is there's so many now that they're you can't count on one to give you give you quality games. I mean, you Bahamas. I mean, you know, three, four, or five years ago, it was oh, get the Bahamas. That's really good. Well, if you'd done that this year, maybe it wasn't so good. You know, uh, Maui to the same degree, I think. Uh, so it, it's a challenge. Um, I think we put so much emphasis on. There's probably one or two games, maybe somebody that plays a tough schedule plays, and then someone that doesn't play a tough schedule. And then the other 18 conference games are like forgotten. I mean, it, it's an amazing thing to me. But the true value is the computer rankings of the schedules, not some guy that looks at it and has an agenda. And, you know, that's what you got to look at. So it'll adjust. We'll, we'll change it. The one thing that does concern me is the other conferences, the Big Ten, the ACC, going to 20 conference games. What happens with that? Are they going to play less? Uh, games as far as non-conference quality games. What's interesting to that point is what you said earlier. If the bottom of their leagues isn't very good and they're playing those teams twice, it actually would make more sense for them to schedule a little better Mm -hmm. than non-conference because now you've given them 20 games that you've added sort of lower level games. They just happen to be in their conference. Well, I mean, I don't know because their games aren't based on the top playing the top. They're, they're, They're in a uh, you know, they've got the so-called rivalry games. I mean, at Pitt, we had the Syracuse and Louisville, so we had the toughest twosome of anybody at the time. That since has changed, obviously. But that was the case for many years. And, and, and then you had the other two that you played on a rotating basis. So it generally, you know, over time, those two wouldn't even out, but the others two certainly wouldn't. Um, I don't know if that changes. It means 
with that, it means that they're going to play two weaker games because it's going to play two more games. And sometimes it will be stronger because certain teams, their rivalry games are, are weaker than Notre Dame's week uh, plays BC and Georgia Tech. I mean, mm-hmm. so they have to play better teams by adding two more games. Have to play. You know, so um, it, it's different for each team. And uh, I just wonder if they're, if they're going to play and how they're going to do it. And I've talked to them, we, you know, we may have to get something going to make up because obviously we can't add any more conference games. So right. maybe we do a, a ch- another challenge in addition to SEC. But, you know, we, you never know who you're going to get on that either. So, and you have no control of that. So that factors in as well. And then some guys saying that you don't schedule anybody and though you can't, you know, you can't, uh, you don't have control of it. You got four games from that exempted tournament you can schedule, right? And then you got nine others, which generally people are going to home and home, which we all do. And then they're getting seven bye games. It's back, you know. Uh, maybe you play one extra. We went to L.A. and played the best team we could find, the best team that would play us. We played Nevada. Their RPI was seven when we played. Ours was ten, so it was a good one. But we had to project. We had to, you know, have confidence in Coach Musselman and yes. what he's done. And so, you know, we took a chance and we, we got it right. Um, that's that's not always easy to do. And then you need the other team to play. That's the other thing. Not like I got I didn't have any phone calls this year with five our top six returning scores. There were no schools calling us uh, to play home and home. I didn't have that call. Hey, when you take over a job like this and, and you've been at a place like Pittsburgh, you've made it your home, you know the route you're gonna travel from home to school and where your kids go to school, all those kinds of things. What's the hardest thing when you move to a bigger city? Uh, you're out of your comfort zone. I mean, I know you played there, but it's been decades. Yeah. But you know, yeah. and, and sort of, yeah. you know, it's new people that you had to go decades. Build, you, on you have to build the trust with within the department. I mean, w- what's the most challenging aspect when you take over a place after you've been somewhere else for so long? Yeah, well, you had to bring in decades. It's actually thirty years, so it's even more than you even tried to project. But uh, it's been a long time. Um, I, I'll tell you what. I mean, I'll just. I mean. The hardest thing for me, and I didn't see it coming, was just being away from my family. You know, uh, the, the, the coaches go. It's April, March, April, you move. They finish out their school. So for three months, really, I didn't see them. And that, that, was, that was hard. That was the hardest part for me. I mean, maybe it's different for other people. Um, but that, to me, was the, that was the hardest thing. I didn't anticipate it. I didn't see it. But uh, that was the thing that just... Uh, wore me down um so good well, it's, a, it's a lot of lonely like nights getting, yeah no it's seeing the kids and you're not there and i mean i it's just uh it was i didn't anticipate it and it, it was it was a, a real uh it was, it was tough it was hard um but uh, that to me was the hardest thing so i don't know if that's the same for everybody but that was me and this time of the year when it slows down you got final exams you get the holidays You've done this for so long now. What's your sort of trick, if you will, to make sure your guys are sharp once you get, you know, we we get closer to New Year's and then, bam, it's like two games a week, boom, 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 yeah. you know, straight through to the tournament. Right. Yeah, it's almost like you can get comfortable or, you know, fall, you know, uh, relax. And, you know, every year it's different. Like this year we had two good practices yesterday and today. We just got done with one. Um, you know, oftentimes it's, it's finals just take you guys – you know, they miss class. I mean, they miss practice because of class or test. I mean, but we've had two good ones, so um, and we have a longer break. So hopefully we can take advantage of it. You know, we feel good because where we're at and being ranked and being undefeated, but we really po- focus on two things that we got to get better at, and uh, we spent two days doing that. So uh, we didn't have to think about an opponent, just about us and getting better. And, and our guys knew we hadn't handled that well in the last two games. We got up both games. And teams really, you know, gambled, trapped, and uh, we got to do a better job. And, you know, we'll see that against West Virginia for 40 minutes. So, you know, we, we, we've spent two days working on that. We've got a couple more that we can work on. It. So it's been good for us. I mean, got to stay healthy and uh, got to stay hungry at the same time. And pass all your class. Yes. <laughs> well, Jamie, we appreciate it. And uh, I'm so, so happy that uh, things are going so well for you. So happy they're going good for you too, Andy. All right. Thanks, Jamie.
And now joining us here on March Madness 365, UCLA head coach Steve Alford. Uh, the Bruins have had an interesting start to their season, uh, most notably losing at Michigan in a kind of a crazy game. Uh, Michigan had to come back from 15 points down. They ended up beating UCLA 78-69 in overtime. Uh, the Bruins had a nice win over Wisconsin. Their only other loss was against Creighton. That was two games coming in Kansas City. Uh, so, Steve, let's look a little bit back before we go ahead to the Cincinnati matchup. Um, this Michigan game, it was your your sort of first true road game. What did you learn about your group in that environment? Well, we're playing, uh, we're basically playing eight guys, and five of them didn't play last year. So um, when you start the season, like we had to start the season in China, and that's a lengthy, lengthy trip for one game. Um, we were able to beat Georgia Tech, uh, which I thought was a great opening win for this group. Um, and then you come home with a, a string of home games plus the Kansas City trip, and now you're going back out again to a place like Ann Arbor where um, they got a lot of bets on their team. They just won at Texas. It's obviously a very good team, and I thought we had them. Um, I thought we played well enough to win until we just got a little bit out of character late in the game. But it was their first road trip, and five of these guys, three of them are true freshmen, and the other two were uh, red shirts last year, so they haven't played a road game either. So um pretty pleased with things because I thought the things that we saw on tape are things that we can correct moving forward. Well, and actually in that game, it, it seemed like you went back to the veterans, or at least that's just what evolved, where Welsh and Holiday were your only two scorers in double figures. And Chris Wilkes, you know, the freshman, had really had some good moments, you know, earlier in the season and was not as productive in that game can I read into any of that, that the, the sort of the, the veteran guy sort of stepped up in that environment? Now Wilkes needs to, so now that he's had that road game out of the way, needs to get back to the way maybe he was playing a couple weeks ago? Well, there's no question that um, I thought Aaron, and I thought Aaron and Tom got a little bit tired. And so we've got to get them some more rest, and then we've got to get production other places. And we've been getting that. We didn't get that in this uh, in this particular road game. So, um but again, when your first road game as a freshman is at, you know, Michigan, um, that's not that's obviously not an easy one. So we definitely understand that. Uh, but we got to get, get we obviously need to get Wilkes and Prince and Jalen Hands. These are three guys that have to help us with scoring. We only had four bench points, um, so we've got to be able to. When we've been having very good bench production, so it's something that we've got to get back to doing. I, I didn't think the ball moved nearly as well. Um, in this game like it has been in games past. So let's look ahead to your matchup against Cincinnati on Saturday. Uh, they were tearing it up pr you know, prior to that Xavier game. Uh, Mick told me that, uh, you know, kind of that same, same situation. You know, you got a road game, crazy rivalry game, gets very heated, and they got popped early and had to play catch-up and weren't able to do so. And then they play a Florida team that was really desperate um, after they lost to Loyola at home. Uh, and Florida State, and so they come in there, they beat them in New Jersey. Uh, Cincinnati now bounces back and has a solid win over Mississippi State, which was previously undefeated, but they're going to come at you. I mean, you know that about McCronin teams, very physical. What do you guys need to know, to do to withstand that sort of aggression that's going to be coming right at you at Folly? Well, um, you're exactly right. I think you've nailed them, Andy, right to point. Um, they are an aggressive physical team. They're, uh, they got good depth. Uh, a lot of these guys were on their team last year, um, so they, they've been a part of success, and then they were a part of um, our game last year, so they know about us, and we got a lot of new guys that don't know about them, so uh, it's about we're in finals right now, so we're in and out of practice from getting to exams and those type of things, so it's kind of a crazy week um, that, way, that way, but uh, we know that we've got an outstanding in my mind, top 15 team coming into our building on, on Saturday, and we're going to have to find uh, some way of being able to match their toughness. They're a great rebounding team, not good, great. Um, it's a big, big part of what they do. Um, they're very, very sound and aggressive defensively, so they make uh, running your stuff hard. So we've got to do a good job with understanding that. And we have to value the ball. Games that we've played well in, we haven't turned it over. And against Michigan, we had way too many turnovers, and because of that, we weren't able to hold on and win. You know, you mentioned about the, you know, that trip to, and, and what it can take out of you. And, and I'm just curious, you guys came back, and I'm not trying to disparage Central Arkansas, but that ended up being like a crazy game, 106-101 in overtime. Right. How much was that? And that was five days later from when the game was. 
the 10th to the 15th, but not that much after you actually guys got back from China and kind of the dealing with the jet lag. How, how much did that factor into that? You know, I'm not sure, Andy, and I'm not sure, you know, what the factors are moving forward, uh, whether Michigan or Cincinnati or now we got South Dakota and Kentucky coming up or you know, what our what our situation is going to be going into league play. Because I, in 27 years, I've never I've never taken a foreign trip to start the season, and that's basically what it was. We were we were gone seven eight days um, to play one game, um, and it was a, a ton of travel, uh, just a, an absolute lots and lots of travel. So uh, I don't know, and that's that's been the hard part of trying to manage of how much practice time is this enough? Is it not enough? Um, and then while you're doing that, you've still, we've already been to Kansas city. We've already been to Ann Arbor and now we still got to go to New Orleans. So where last year's team, the, the furthest we went was Vegas. Uh, we flew to Vegas. We bust Anaheim the two times we played away from home. And I thought we were very well rested. Uh, we were very confident going into league play and really ready. Um, and this has got a little different feel. I think we're getting better. I think we're improving. And those are the things I'm most pleased with, but I, I can't give them a good feel because I've never done this. I've never taken a trip in early November to the extent that we took. This cumulative effect of that trip, um, the fact that, you know, whether they were playing a lot or not, I mean, and they're, they're certainly practicing, you know, not having LiAngelo Ball, who's now not even on the team anymore in school, Cody Riley, Jalen Hill. How, how much, so you don't have Riley and Hill going forward, at least indefinitely here, how much is the the sort of the lack of bodies for practice has you think contributed to there being a little bit of the wear and tear on this group? Well, that's why I'm very pleased with where our team's at right now, Andy, is that, you know, we, we have beaten a big 10 team. We nearly beat a bit, another big 10 team on their home court. Um, we, we've been able to, we had a very good game against Creighton. Uh, we beat an ACC team in Georgia tech you know, so we've been able to do some really good things here early in the season where, you know, we got, like I said, a lot of new guys. If you throw those other three in there, we got 11-man rotation to start the year. Eight of those 11 didn't play last year, um, and we practiced for five weeks. And then in, in one day, uh, three of them are gone. Normally, um, you know, you, you lose somebody to an injury or they're out a couple weeks or, you know, and it's next man up, you know, in this situation. We literally changed everything we were doing. We were going to do a lot more pressing because I was going to be playing 11 guys. Uh, and then overnight, we go to an eight-man rotation and have to change some things. And I think our guys have just done a tremendous job of staying focused and, and really adjusting to our changes of how we got to play. It's affected practices, no, no question about that, because of our depth. Um, and we've had several practices where th- there's been some practices we haven't been five-on-five. Five. And we've been doing a lot of five-on-oh and four-on-four. and and those type of things, figuring out different ways of getting better without just beating our guys down in practice. So there's a fine line there. I think we're starting to adjust and getting a little bit more familiar on how we do things and how hard we push. But there was definitely a transition period there, and I thought our guys handled it well. And one other thing before we we let you go here, uh, any update on Riley and Hill? No, not yet. I know the situation is um, is moving, uh, and they've they've been in their meetings uh, with the student, uh, conduct. And so we're hoping that, uh, we get that feedback, um, as, as early as late this week, if not, uh, next week. Arizona state off to a phenomenal start nine and zero, uh, looking like not just a PAC 12 potential champ, but a team that could go really far, potentially San Antonio for those that were coaching in that league last year, like yourself, how much did you see this as a possibility with that group? Uh, that's hard, Andy, because I, to be honest with you, <laughs> with everything we're, uh, I can't even probably tell you a lot of the new guys. Uh, I know they got most of their guards back and their guards were very, very talented. So, um, that group of guards could really score the basketball last year. So, um, the little bit that I've seen, it looks like the guards are still scoring, but they've got good size up front. I didn't think last year, last year they were pretty much all four guards and, small up front and defending the basket uh, I thought was an issue. And it looks like they've got that covered uh, and, and still yet having an offense that can play at a high, high level. So they look obviously early here in the season, like they're going to be a very dangerous team. Well, Steve, we appreciate it. I think you've handled everything extremely well. Uh, you know, obviously a very difficult situation that you've all had to juggle 
over the last month. So we appreciate you joining us here on the show. I thank you, Andy. Always a pleasure being on. Thanks for having me on. And now joining us here on March Madness 365, Oklahoma freshman guard Trey Young, who, by the way, just happens to be the number one scorer in men's basketball, NCAA Division I, averaging 28.8 points a game, 8.8 assists, 3.5 rebounds. He's shooting 47.9%, 37 on threes. He is the number one scorer in the nation at Oklahoma kind of following the footsteps a couple of years removed from Buddy Heald and Buddy Buckets certainly uh, was his nickname there at Oklahoma. Trey, we appreciate you joining us here on March Madness 365. Uh, let's just deal with some initial impressions of college basketball. I mean, it, on the surface, it seems like things are coming rather easily to you. Um, why, have, why do you think you've been able to score with such ease so far in your career at Oklahoma? Um, well, first off, I want to Thank you for having me on. Um, but I feel like it's just my teammates um, have been been so outstanding and and, and making plays um, on their own because whenever they're making plays, it opens up the floor for for everybody else and um, for driving lanes and for things like that. So uh, and, and Coach Kruger, Coach Kruger has put us in great positions and put me in a great position to score, facilitate, and get everybody involved. So um, I mean, the, the people around me are doing. I mean, doing all the work. In what ways do you like to score the most? Um, I, I just, I mean, whatever the defense is giving me. Uh, I mean, I, I feel like I can really shoot the ball uh, really well. So I feel like, I mean, uh, a three is worth more than a two, and I feel like I can shoot the ball um, at the three level pretty well. So I, I, I like, I like shooting threes. You know, obviously, Steph Curry's made a career out of it. Um, is there one player, and if so, who? Do you feel like you've modeled yourself a little bit after? Um, I, I I couldn't tell you uh, just one player um, because I, I like to model my game after uh, a few, after multiple um, guys like Steph Curry, um, obviously Kyrie, Kyrie Irving, Damian Lillard, um, Tony Parker, the way he finishes around the rim. Um, but my my favorite player, who I I mean I, I model my game after the most, is Steve Nash. Um, he's been my favorite player since I was a kid and. Uh, that's definitely the the main person. What's it about Nash's game that you loved? Uh, I just love how he's so cerebral. Uh, I mean, he's he's a smaller guard. Um, he just knew how to get to his spots. He knew how to score, how to find others, and uh, just the main thing is just how he's so cerebral and he's such a smart point guard and just knew knew how to get get to where he wanted. And I mean, he he had a really good touch from all three levels too. Now. You were obviously one of the most celebrated recruits coming out last year. Why'd you choose Oklahoma? Uh, just because I, I just felt I just felt this was the place for me. Just felt like this was the the right fit for me. Um, I mean, just with everything, just knowing knowing what to expect coming in from day one, um, having my family right there, uh, right right by me, right. I mean, on this journey with me uh, while I'm here in college and. Uh, I just felt like this was the right fit for me, and I mean, who wouldn't want to play for? I mean, a, a guy like Coach Kruger, and he just so happened to be in my backyard. So that was that was um, great for me. So I, I mentioned Buddy Heald, and it was a pleasure watching him. You know, sort of blossom from freshman to senior year. Uh, what's been your relationship in this brief time as, as, that you've been a part of the Oklahoma family uh, with Buddy Heald? Uh, I mean, Buddy Buddy is is. Is, is a big role model for me. Um, I mean, I've known Buddy since he was a freshman here. Uh, I mean, just just seeing his progression and everything, I was so happy for him and, and, and his family. Um, but he, he's just a, a big role model. If, if I have any questions, I can go to him and, and ask him for advice. And um, But right now, I mean, he's busy with his season. I'm busy with my right. season, so we don't like to, to bug each other. But, I mean, he knows and I know if, if he needs anything, uh, if he has any questions or I have anything, I know I can go to him. And he's just been a big role model for me and someone I look up to. So you have sought his advice. What what have you tried to pick his brain about? Um, just just what it's like playing in college basketball. Uh, what it's like going to uh, a, a packed house like, I mean, Lawrence, Kansas, and playing in the Big 12 and um, – I mean, how 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 you stay motivated whenever he 
started receiving, I mean, success early on in his senior year. Uh, things like that, just just picking his brain and getting advice from him like that. Now, you guys had a great trip over the summer. You went down under. Uh, I was reading uh, Matt Norlander did a good story on CBSSports.com about um, which people didn't know. You've got a little bit of a bird phobia. How did how did that uh, how did that materialize? <laughs> yeah. Uh, I love the trip. I love the trip. Um, I mean, I felt like it was great for our team. Uh, great for the families who went down there and great, great experience for us all that, uh, hadn't been, been out that way. Um, but the only thing bad about it was there were so many birds. Um, I mean, there was birds flying everywhere. We couldn't eat, eat a, a, a good meal without a bird, uh, walking in the store, uh, just calmly or flying around us so that was the only thing that that had me scared when we was out there but besides that um wow we were good so i mean obviously everyone has their own little fears that pop up in life but uh you, you don't seem to get rattled um where do you think that comes from i just i feel like it just comes from my, my hard work and preparation um i prepare really really uh really hard um, and I work, I work extremely hard and I feel like when you, when you do that, um, I mean, that's, that's the ultimate confidence booster. Um, you, you know, that you put in the work. So, I mean, if, if, I mean, if you, if you don't succeed, then, I mean, you can't say that you didn't work, you didn't work as hard as you possibly could. So I don't have any, any limits or fears whenever I, I mean, I'm put in the spot. Um, I mean, that, I mean, that could go, could go either way because, I feel like I put in so much work and, and preparation for that moment. You know, Trey, you know, who knows how long you'll be there. Obviously, when everyone assumes you might only be there one one year. But w- while you are there, so, so far as the first semester is winding down, off the court, what do you think has been the benefit? Like, how have you benefited by being a part of the Oklahoma University community, whether that's in the classroom, interacting with other students, what aspect of that part of your college life has really sort of rubbed off on you here in the first uh, four months of the of the school year? Um, I mean, I feel like just just picking everybody's brain. I'm, I'm very I'm very social. I like I like meeting new people. I like picking people's brains and and uh, and learning new things every day. Um, so I mean, just with the academic advisors, my tutors. I love having conversation. Um, I feel like just meeting new people is, is, is always good, and it's always good for me. And um, I mean, I, this is a place I can call home. Um, I mean, even however long I'm here, I just know these people uh, will always have my back, and I always um, I always love being around everybody who's who's um, who's here, and from the students to the academic people, like I said, it's just a family environment. And so that's something that I, I picked up um, from here. How would you describe your relationship with Coach Kruger? Oh, it's amazing. Uh, we we watch film every day. Um, I mean, we laugh, we joke. Um, I mean, he pushes he pushes me to be better. Uh, he expects the most out of me, and I uh, I mean, he he wants to get the best out of me, and that's something that I love about Coach. And um, we just have such a great relationship. You know, I rattled these stats off when I introduced you, and um, you know, they jumped off twenty eight point eight, number one in the country. You know, that's just something that a freshman, I don't care how highly touted you are, you know, people probably think can happen uh, because of, you know, scouting and defenses and the jump from high school to college is, you know, it's a lot different and you got bigger players. I mean, when you take a step back, and I know it's only probably a close to a third of the season through this point, you're not into the Big 12 yet. Uh, uh, how do you sort of digest what you've been able to do just in this short time through the first eight games? Uh, I feel like. I mean, just the people around me uh, who keep my head uh, level-headed, um, don't let me get too high or too low. Um, I mean, one thing a lot of people always say is just take it one game at a time, and I feel like a lot of people don't actually do that. Um, but that's that's something that Coach Kruger tells me, and um, my dad always tells me just to take one game at a time and just focus and prepare for that one game. Um, so I feel like that, that's definitely helped me just continue to 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 play like I am and uh I mean like you said this is just one third of the way in and um hopefully I can continue to keep it going but uh but yeah I just I just take it one game at a time and 
I've got to keep keep it going uh, like that. Now, Trey, I know you're going to have a lot of great moments throughout the course of this season, but through these first eight, where you guys have been on the road, you know, you, you're up in Portland, you, you play the game at USC, well, in LA against USC. Can, can you pick either one possession or one moment or one game even that right now is sticking with you in these first eight? Um, I've, I've, I've had so many moments that I can think of. Um, one, one that I, I love, uh, we, we were playing, I mean, USC this Friday and, um, I mean, we were, we were on a roll and we were scored. I think we scored like eight straight points and, um, Christian James, had hit, uh, he had just hit a three and then we had come, came down and forced him into a turnover and we were in transition. And I remember I, I saw, I saw, um, Kadeem, Kadeem running down the, the lane and I was just thinking in my mind, Christian, I just hit a three and, um, Chris, I knew I had to find Chris in that possession and he was behind me and I, I tried to draw whoever was trying to pick him up. Uh, I tried to make his man, um, look at me. And so I tried to find him and I remember him hitting the three and, uh, the USC fans just, uh, you could hear the, the, the moan in their voice just drop. Uh, so it was, it was, uh, it was a good feeling, but it was, I love playing on the road and that's just one of the feelings that I love and I was happy to see Christian do, do so well well Trey we look forward to tracking you and watching you throughout the course of the season and of course uh, chatting again appreciate you joining us here on uh, March Madness 365 yes sir thank you thank you for having me it was awesome that'll wrap up our first edition of March Madness 365 hopefully you guys can download it listen let us know what you think of the podcast we'll be here every week throughout the course of the regular season and as we said 365 all year round We're covering the sport like no one else here at NCAA.com. Thanks for listening.